Right. If you don't mind, let's be finding the book of Amos again this evening. We got started with Amos last week. So as you know, Old Testament, we have what is sometimes called major prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. Then you find some books there in the Old Testament before you get to the New Testament, sometimes referred to as minor prophets because these books are not as long. They don't have as many chapters. So if you find that area of your Bible and look down to Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Amos. What I'd like for us to do is to read from Amos and then have our prayer after our reading. And then we'll get right to our lessons. So Amos uh, chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Let's do a little reading here and then let's pause for prayer. And then we'll do a little review from last week, and then we'll get right to our thoughts for tonight. Amos 5, beginning in verse 4. Amos 5, beginning in verse 4. And we'll go down through verse 17. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, And do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour, with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood, and cast down righteousness to the earth, He who made Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Okay. Amos 5 verse 9. The Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him and you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Verse 14, Amos 5. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord 
the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, midst, says the Lord. We'll focus our time here on some of these thoughts in Amos 5, but first let's do a little review from last week, some lessons that we noticed from Amos last week. We noticed uh, first that all people, all nations throughout history during all time are accountable to God. Chapters 1 and 2 mention several different nations that have uh, transgressed the Lord and the Lord was holding them to account and would bring destruction upon them. Okay. Then into chapter 2, we notice that with, with God's people, the nation of Israel and Judah, that God would not excuse their sins. So they also would be held to account for their sins. And we noticed a third lesson last week that finally... Finally, God's people got what they wished for. They had wished for way back in Samuel's day, 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5, they said, give us a king so we can be like the other nations. Well, they had become like the other nations, not in a good way at all. God was judging the other nations, and Israel and Judah had become just like them. So careful what you wish for. And then we noticed last week that judgment was coming... Uh, pretty soon for Israel and for Judah, Israel first. Around 721 B.C., the nation of Assyria came and got many from the northern kingdom of Israel and took them into captivity. And much of these descriptions here, even what we read here, Amos 5, are descriptions of the judgment that would uh, be coming. They built houses of hewn stone, they built them vineyards, but they would not be enjoying them because judgment was uh, coming. And then, even though God had been good to them, that's another lesson we learned last week. Even though God had been good to them over the course of many years, bringing them out of captivity and bringing them and uh, making them a special people unto God, choosing them to bring uh, the Messiah into the world etc., etc., though God had been good to them, yet uh, they threw it back in his face, as it were, and uh, still remained uh, in their uh, sins. And then we left off last week talking about the various ways in which God tried to bring them to repentance, even using such things as, as drought and, and famine and other natural disasters, and we wondered aloud together last week about whether or not God still uses that to get our attention. And so he was using those things to try to, um, to bring them back. The heart of God never stops trying to reach his people, no matter how far in sin uh, they may go. So that brings us right here to Amos chapter 5. And the focus is going to be on seeking the good. Seeking the good. Notice the heart of God here. 
Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live so that the Lord of hosts will still uh, be with you. See how God is still not giving up on them. Maybe he's hoping that there are some still who have goodness, who still want to do right. Verse uh, 15, hate, the good, hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be, it just may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So our focus for a few minutes this evening will be on seeking good. Seeking good. And noticing some thoughts now deal seeking that which is good. Okay. Now, the first thought is this. Goodness must be sought. It's not just going to fall into our laps. Goodness must be sought. We've got to seek it. We've got to seek it. This is one of the tests that God throws our way uh, to see if we are faithful. Okay. The, do we really love Him? Do we love His ways? Are we willing to seek uh, Him out? You see, more and more in our day, like in that day, there's a lack of conscience, it seems. It seems like, it seems like that our consciences are becoming more and more hardened. Okay. Uh, less and less do we see a real deep down quality of soul, of people searching their soul and seeking out uh, the Lord. And this is what he's saying here. He said, if you expect to run into goodness, if you really want to know what is good, then you've got to seek it out. You've got to seek it out. We may have mentioned last week Isaiah uh, 55, verse 6, that says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek the Lord while He may be found. It's not that the Lord has been lost. It's just that He expects us to seek Him out because it's a test of faith. It's a test of will uh, toward His will, you see. Seek Him out while He may be found. Time could run out on someone, but your heart also can run out. As Paul mentions in, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, our, our conscience can become hardened, seared as, as, as with a hot iron. You remember that uh, phrase there in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. And so either time can run out on us or our heart can run out on us. Our heart can become hardened to where we no longer can find the Lord. And so we remember several New Testament references such as Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the Lord. Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. We remember Philip saying to Nathaniel, we have found him, John chapter 1. We have found him, the one that Moses wrote about. We have found him, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one. He's the Messiah. You see, there's got to be some seeking out on our part. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 uh, says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. 
Hebrews 11, verse 6 says that without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. And so goodness must be sought. If we want to know what life is all about, if we want to know God, if we want to know his goodness, if we want to know how to move and be uh, in this life, we've got to seek him out. Okay? So that's Amos 5, and you see it right here in Amos 5, uh, don't you? Uh, Verse 4 and 5, seek me and live, the Lord says. Amos 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. And then Amos 5, verse 14, seek the good and not evil that you may uh, live. Goodness must be sought. But I want to go on to the second thought this evening together, and that is... We cannot seek good without seeking God. You see that here in Amos 5? We cannot seek that which is good without seeking God. Because he says in verses 5 and 6 here in Amos 5, the Lord says, seek me, seek the Lord. But then in verse 14 it says, seek the good. We cannot seek the good without seeking God. It's impossible. It is. I want us to think about three, um, let's just call them demands, three demands, okay? Because since goodness exists, then that should lead us back to God, okay? But in order for us to reason this out and help others reason this out, let's think about three demands. Goodness Goodness demands that we look for a source other than mankind, other than ourselves. It demands that we look for a source of goodness beyond human beings. Not that we cannot become good, or even godly, okay. but that we know in, in general mankind messes things up. Look around. Look around. Man messes things up. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God has made man upright, but man has sought out many inventions. God made us good, but we think we know better, and we seek out many inventions. Inventions. Ecclesiastes 7.29. And so goodness leads us to say, well, we can't find how to be good with man. Okay. So a second demand is then, where can we find the ultimate standard of goodness? It, goodness, since it exists, demands that we look for an ultimate standard of goodness. A standard of goodness that comes from someone who is, who is wholly good. Who is absolutely good. Okay. And of course that lands us right at God. 1 John 1, 5 and 6 says, God is light. L-I-G-H-T. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. At all. Okay. And so since goodness exists, then that causes us to ask, where can I go to know how to be good? Can't go to mankind. We need an ultimate standard of absolute goodness. And the only one that stands up for that is 
is God. And then this, this goodness also demands personality, doesn't it? There's nothing that tells us to be good from a, from a bunch of rocks. Okay? There's, there's nothing that tells us to be good from roots and, and grass and trees. Goodness does not spring from any natural, naturalistic, materialistic um, grounds, basis. Goodness comes from personality. We, we know by instinct that goodness is always associated with personality, not with, with, with birds or frogs or fish or roots or rocks or dirt or sand. That doesn't say anything about person about goodness but we know that goodness is always in conjunction it's always together with personality so so who is this personality who is above man who has and is the ultimate standard of all that is good okay that has to be none other than god in him is no darkness at all so to be good to seek good, then we have to go uh, to God. We have to go to God. So if you're talking to somebody who hasn't yet become a believer, ask them, does goodness exist? Is there good in this world? Do people do good? Is it important for people to do good? Do people you know try to be good? Okay. And so, therefore, where does this motivation come from? It comes from God because all people are made in the image of God. Now, at the holiday times, we sing the songs and we have fun with it. Be good for goodness sake. But that don't make one bit of sense. Good for goodness sake, there's nothing to that. We're good because God is good. We're good because God is. There was an agnostic who lived a couple generations ago by the name of Bertrand Russell. And he was an unbeliever. Later, after he passed, his daughter did some writings. And she said that her dad's philosophy never made sense at home because she remembers the conversations. He would tell her to be good. And she would say, why must I be good? And he would say, this was his answer, because you being good would make more people happy and less people sad. That was, his, that was his answer every time. She would say, why must I be good? He would say, because it would make more people happy than it would make them sad. And she says in her writings, that never made any sense. In fact, she said they made fun of that answer. How much more assuring it is that parents can look to the children and say, we are good and you're going to be good because God brought us here. and He knows what's best uh, for us. Now, before we leave this idea that we can't be good without God, remember the statement that Jesus made with the rich young ruler. I believe it's in Mark 10. 17 and 18. But he looked to the rich young ruler. Now the, the rich young ruler had come up to him and said, 
good teacher, good master, what is this good thing I must do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus say? Why do you call what? Yeah. Why do you call me good? There is none good except one, even God. Now, was Jesus there? Was he, was he saying, look, I'm not God. God is God, so don't call me good. Is that what Jesus was doing? So let's think about it a minute. What was Jesus doing when he said, why do you call me good? There's none good, even God. What was Jesus trying to do with the rich young ruler? Got any thoughts on that? seems to me that Jesus was seizing upon both the language of the ruler and the opportunity to challenge him, to teach him. Okay. Since he brought up the word good, then Jesus decided to use the word good in the absolute sense. You see, the word good is used in scripture in the absolute sense, that is referring to God, who's absolutely, perfectly good. But also, we can become good, but only in, in the general sense of following him. Okay. Jesus decided to take this opportunity to use the word good in the absolute sense. Okay. He doesn't say he wasn't good. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is truly good, and that is God. In other words, he's wanting the rich, rich young ruler to see or to ask himself, or to, to recognize and see, do you really know who you are talking to? Do you realize you are talking to God himself? Do you realize that you are dealing with the Son of God? I'm not just a good teacher, but I am the one. I am the one. And so he's challenging uh, the ruler to recognize who it is and, and, and recognize the seriousness of his question and to recognize the seriousness of his decisions and to stop using the word good in a careless way, which he obviously was doing because he didn't really recognize just who he truly was, was coming to. He knew he was a good man. He knew that Jesus was special but did he really recognize that Jesus was the Son of God? Well, this all teaches us that there's one who's absolutely good. And for us to be good, then we've got to follow him. So here in Amos we see that in seeking good, good has got to be sought. We've got to put forth some effort. Some effort. And then secondly, there is no goodness uh, without God. I want to see, uh, I'm going to move a little bit fast here to get to a certain point, but I want to see in the third place that to be good is simply a summary of uh, our responsibility to God and to others. It's, it's simply a way of God summing up all that he expects us to, to be and to do before him and toward others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 37. That's what, that's what being good, doing good, really in a, in a, 
means in a, in a whole way, in a complete way. Okay. And that's what he's saying here in Amos. He's saying, seek the Lord, uh, seek good. In other words, you know, fulfill your responsibility to, to God and others, and the Lord will uh, be with you. Okay. Uh, see, you might remember a couple of uh, ideals in the New Testament along this way. You remember the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that's the ideal there, is to, is to realize that we have a responsibility to God and to others, and when we fulfill that, then that is goodness in our lives. What about uh, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21? Uh, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is good. Acts 10.38, Peter said, Jesus went about doing good. So we know that if we follow Jesus, His example, and His words, then we're also going to be doing that which is good. Okay. So it's kind of a way of summing up all that we're to be before God. And we also remember Romans 12, verse 9, Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And notice the idea of cleaving. Cleaving is to be joined to... It is to be glued to. It is to hold fast, like Paul just said in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. Hold fast to that which is good. Um, clamp yourself to that which is good. Clamp yourself to God and clamp yourself to doing good. Okay. Titus 1 verse 8 says we're all to be lovers of that which is, is good. Cleave uh, to that which is good. All right. So I wanted us to see that that this seeking good of Amos is really a, a way of summing up all that we're to be uh, before God. But also, let's, let's move on to our next idea here, number four, and that is uh, seeking good is to hate evil. And that's one thing Amos brings out again and again. Seek the good and hate the evil. Hate the evil. That's a big part of uh, doing good. We've got to hate what God hates. Proverbs 8, uh, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Hate evil. And you could find several other references through the Old Testament uh, to notice this as well. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 10 to 12, uh, you might notice that in your Bible. 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12 talks about doing good and turning away from evil and the fact that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Turning away, of course, implies repentance. So anytime we're involved in something that is not right, God wants us to repent, to turn away uh, from that just as much and as soon as we, we can. And then, and then do good. Seek the good and then do it. And remember His face, which implies judgment to come, just like judgment was coming upon Israel in the days of Amos. So even upon us one day, if, if we don't turn from evil then uh, his face will be against us. Again, Romans 12, verse 9, talking about hating evil. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. To abhor something, you could give a good definition of it. It's, it's to hate something. It's to detest something. Evil is to make us sick. Evil is to make us sick. We remember uh, Jesus in Revelation 3, talking about the church of Laodicea. 
He says, I, I, I want to spew you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and that makes the Lord uh, sick. So to hate evil, to abhor it, you know, are we at that level of seeking and loving God, loving goodness to be, to that, that evil makes us sick? Habakkuk 1.13 talks about how that the Lord's eyes are too pure even to look upon evil. What about ours? We sing sometimes, oh, to be like thee. Are we becoming like God? Are our eyes becoming so pure that we just, it just detests us, it abhors us to even, even think about that which is which evil? And so I, I wanted us to think about that. He says, seek the good and, and hate uh, the evil. But then I want us to get to lesson five here. And that is, I think a lesson from Amos here in Amos 5 is we have to call evil what it is. Because it's as plain as anything is plain that according to Amos and according to these New Testament references that are similar, there are some things that are described, it could, put, it could be put in the category of that which is good, and then there are things that are in the category of that which is evil. I believe that Amos is teaching us that we need to call that which is evil, evil. Okay. Now, as I grew up, I was hearing a lot of philosophy about, well, you don't need to label people. That, that doesn't build their, their self-esteem. Okay. There's a lot of labeling that goes on in Scripture. A lot of it. Okay. And it's for our own good. Okay. So don't call abortion. Don't call it abortion. Call it what it is. It's baby killing. It's what it is. It's baby killing. What, there's a time where you'll be talking to your children or grandchildren about this because abortion's going to be a topic. It's going to be on people's lips and minds a long time. And we pray it just gets extinguished from the land, but, but here it is. And when you tell your children about it, call it, don't call it abortion. That sounds like a procedure. That sounds like somebody's going to, um, going to remove a tissue, an, an extra tissue they don't need uh, from their body. Okay? I know what the word abort means, but it's been used now so much that in, in people's minds, it sounds like some procedure they're having. Why don't we just call it what it is? It's called, it's called killing babies. That's what it is. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. God warned His people in the old law, Leviticus 18.21, a lot of other places, about not coming to these false gods and, and offering your children as a sacrifice. It was happening during Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah 7.29-31, God's, God condemned them for taking their, their children and burning them in the fire. God doesn't call it worship. Okay? He doesn't call it a mistake. Okay? He, he doesn't call it getting off the path or, or you know, being confused. He says, you burned your children in the fire. That's the kind of thing I never thought about commanding. It never come into my mind that, that I would command that. And there you are doing it uh, in worship. Let's call it what it is. I think this is something that Amos is teaching us, to call evil what it is. 
In Genesis 39, when Potiphar's wife was coming strong onto Joseph, Joseph said to her, how can we do this great wickedness before God? How can we do this great evil before God? It would have been fornication. It would have been adultery. Okay. So he called it a great evil, a great wickedness, because that's exactly what it is. This transgender business is, is not transgender. It's, it's against, according to Paul in Romans 1, it's against nature. It's unnatural. The most natural thing to do is to follow God. But this is against nature. It's against creation. It's against God. It's against one's own self. So call it what it is. You know, call evil what it is. And so this is a lesson. This is a lesson. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe to them. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. You remember that verse. Amos, Isaiah 5 verse 20. Who put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. And put light for darkness and darkness for light. God does listen and he does care. And he is talking to us about how we label things. Okay. Think about the New Testament for a minute. Matthew 3, John the Baptist, he's got these Pharisees coming to his baptism. He said, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he called them a bunch of snakes. You brood of vipers. Who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Just think about that. Okay. This... These labels are used. Matthew 12, Jesus looked to the Pharisees and said, An evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign. They're asking him for a sign. Even though he's done all these signs, one day after another, they, they said, well, Show us a sign. He said, Well, what about the prophet Jonah and the sign that comes from that? And they wouldn't listen to that either. But he tells them, An evil and, adul- an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. What other labels can you... Remember Jesus, John eight forty four. He said to some of the Jewish people, You are of your father, the devil, who sinned from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. You're his children. You're his sons. What about in Matthew 16, when Peter would not listen, and Jesus kept saying, You know, I'm going to be delivered, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to... The hand of the people, the rulers in Jerusalem, are going to crucify me on the third day. I'm going to rise. Peter said, "Not so, Lord. I won't ever let that happen." What did he say to, to Satan? Or what did he say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. You mind the things of men, not the things of God. That gets us in trouble real fast. Okay, that puts us under the label of Satan. That puts evil on us when we mind the things of men more than the things of God. Now, one of my favorite is in Luke 13, because I'm standing up here, I'll just share it with you. Luke 13, 31, here it is, 31. Now, who knows what the, what the um, intent of the Pharisees are here, but just listen to this, Luke 13, 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. This is the Herod that had beheaded John the Baptist. Okay. So are they really concerned for Jesus, or are they just kind of prodding at him and, 
and happy that these threats are coming his way. But then notice what he said in verse 32. He said to them, you go and tell that fox. This is not a compliment. He says, you, you go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Look at that phrase there, third day. I believe that's a hint of the resurrection. But notice what Jesus is saying. He says, you go tell Herod, I'm still out here working. Isn't this a courageous statement? You go tell Herod, I'm out here still doing my thing. I'm going to be doing it today. I'm going to be doing it tomorrow. And when I do die, I'm going to come back on that third day. You go tell that fox. You go tell that fox. I think the idea here is that anyone who is in opposition to the will of God needs to understand that is a very serious matter. I'm not saying that we go call people a lot of names, but we need to call evil what it is. And we need to relate to people in such a way for all of us to understand just what it is that we're doing. This is, this is uh, ultimately uh, serious business. Go tell that fox. A fox, and we, we have them down at Trinity where we live all over the place. And they're just scavengers. They live off trash. That's what Herod was doing. Herod just, he just his mind was full of trash. And he's living off that. He's living off his, all his lusts and desires, his lust for, for women, his lust for power. He's living off all that. You go tell that fox that I'm out here. Can you imagine? We, Sunday night was talking about the boldness. This is an example of boldness. You go tell that fox I'm out here and I'll be here. Okay. I'm following the course of my father. So... What's your reaction to uh, these lessons that we've mentioned? Um, we've got to seek that which is good. Uh, without God, there cannot be, cannot be any goodness. And then um, goodness is all about following God, serving man, and hating evil. And then calling that which is evil, evil. So, we've got just a couple minutes. What is your... Reaction, or is there any uh, reaction from this? God still loved them enough, knowing what He's going to do to them, to give them a chance to repent, and that means a lot. He yeah. didn't warn them have to do it, but He knew it have to anyway. He still gave them a chance. Yeah. yeah. And here in Amos five, when He says there may be a remnant, you need to connect that to Amos nine in the end of the chapter because that remnant ends up being a prophecy of the church. Okay, So remember that. Let's see if I can quickly um, look down to Amos. It's chapter 9. Yeah, verse 11. In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and repair, repair it and raise it up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Okay, that is quoted in Acts 15, verses 15, 16, and 17. 
And what they're doing there is talking about how the Gentiles um, were part of the church, and they were reinforcing that, that both Jews and Gentiles can obey the gospel and be added to the church, which is the tabernacle of God. And so when it's written here in Amos that God's going to reserve for himself a remnant, ultimately that points down to who we are today. So, all right. What other reactions do you have about seeking that which is good, doing that which is good? Any reaction? In uh, Romans chapter 12, when Paul talks about our reasonable service as Christians, uh, that being not performed in the world, it says, uh, be you transformed in verse 2 by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good All right, so Paul's mentioned Romans 12, verse 2, not being conformed to the world so that we can understand and do that perfect, that good, acceptable will of God. God's, God's will is good, and it will make us good. Right. And the Bible also tells us to abstain from all appearance of evil. We have to be seeking good, but at the same time, you have to be aware of what appears to be evil and abstain from that. Yeah. But it's often disguised as good. Evil yeah. is. It's often called good. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. And Susan's saying it's often disguised as good. Not just disguised as good, it's often called good. If you listen very much to people nowadays, if you listen to the news very much, which I don't really recommend that much, but if you listen, you'll hear people calling that which is plum evil good. Okay. And I think that's why God wants us to label it when something is wrong, it doesn't do anybody any good to try to uh, tap dance and rent tap dance around it. It's, there needs to be a clear mark so that people can understand what it is that is true and good. So, uh, Miss Susan talking about how that um, if we didn't have this good goodness versus evil, if there wasn't a clear line, then we couldn't make the proper judgments, which are necessary, so very necessary uh, in life. And Amos brings uh, that out as well. Okay. So, I want us to see some of the major messages out of Amos. And this is one of the major ones. And it's referred to more than once uh, in the New Testament. To seek that which is good and hate that which is evil. And we must be known for that. But we must be first uh, pure uh, in our own hearts and minds. In contrast to this, remember... In Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah 6.15, 
The question is asked, were you ashamed of all your abominations? What was the answer to that? You were not ashamed at all. Neither could you blush. That's what it says. Jeremiah 6.15. You were not ashamed. So that's, that's, where, that's where we land if we don't have this strong line of demarcation between that which is good and that which is evil, which only God can show us which is which. Okay, thank you so much.